Actually, we're having so many technical difficulties today. It's been a bizarre experience trying to do the show today. Uh, and people, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to, uh, to, to laugh at people in Texas and say, hey, you guys aren't you guys the tough guys, the, the guys that are supposed to be able to get through everything, you know, the uh, independent types. And then, you know, a, an inch of ice hits the ground and we all shudder like we're the most northeastern liberals you'll ever imagine. So we'll get into that here. And at least the northeastern liberals will drive to work in the ice, but not here. Uh, we'll come back in here in just a second. It's the Glenn Beck Program here live on Blaze TV. It's the Glenn Beck Program, live from Texas, a state that normally can get through some of the weather, but not not right now. The whole area is shut down. It's a little cold, and there's a little bit of ice outside. So we're going to sit here, and we're going to push our way through it here. Glenn is having all sorts of technical difficulties at his home. I'm at my home right now as we push through and get you through what's going on in the world. And I know you're at the edge of your seat. We're right to the edge of the COVID emergency. Can you feel the excitement? We'll get into that here on the Glenn Beck Program. So I, I'm fascinated to see how all of this has played out because it, it hasn't played out the right way. I think we can all kind of figure out that this should have gone another way about 100 different times. We all understand where we were in March, April, May of 2020, we understand that it was an uncertain time at some level. We saw really crazy stuff happening overseas. People are being welded in their apartments in China, which is just slightly out of step with their normal lives. Usually they're taking them and putting them, you know, minorities behind prison walls. They decided instead to take their average citizens and weld them into their homes because they might have a virus. And this virus, of course, uh, there were times at the very beginning when you didn't know what it was and it was all over the news and people were being welded into apartments where you can understand people freaking out. Maybe they made some wild decisions. Maybe they reacted in a way they shouldn't have. And that's something that I think we can all understand and at some level have some grace for. Uh, but and, you know, especially when it right got to the point where a place like Italy, which is a little bit different than China, has a little bit closer connection to maybe Western view of the world and freedoms. And then, you know, all of a sudden they're shutting down Italy and it's a little bit weird. And then you're watching an NBA game and they just, you know, decide not to play it with a full stadium and everyone cancels the games and South by Southwest gets canceled and uh, the Final Four gets canceled. I mean, it was a weird time. Okay, I get it. 
we we had a, a situation that was very very strange, and not one that I think most Americans were were competent to just deal with on on a day to day basis. People, we weren't used to that. We were told that this was over. We were told that this wasn't going to happen. Just like we've been told that inflation wasn't going to happen and that a housing collapse wasn't going to happen and so many other things weren't going to happen. And then they seem to happen over and over again. The black swan event seems to be more white swan these days. It's really common. But that is kind of how we started this thing off. And and some of those early moments you could understand. Obviously, President Trump was the president at the time. And he, you know... Look, kept Anthony Fauci employed his entire rest of his administration. Uh, you know, there are plenty of questions. I know President Trump was out criticizing um, Ron DeSantis about how he um, he closed down his state for a while. There were some GOP governors who didn't have any closings. DeSantis had some, although they were minor on the scale of the country. That's going to be a point of criticism from Trump uh, to DeSantis. I'm sure when DeSantis gets in this race, which I do think he will, he will be firing back on the other side of this and talking about the, the the times where Donald Trump fell down, maybe he was too restrictive. I mean, you know, it's not that long ago that Donald Trump was criticizing Governor Kemp in Georgia for opening up too quickly, opening up too broadly. That whole era is a is a is a mess. And there's tons of stuff that needs to be revisited and looked at really carefully mainly to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Accountability is really important, of course, but even more important than that is to make sure that it doesn't happen again. It's one of the reasons why we focus so much on these lawsuits that have wound their way through the courts. Lawsuits where a church was shut down in the middle of the pandemic, what weren't allowed to have people come and worship. I mean, that is just straight out blatantly a, a First Amendment violation in my mind. And the courts have generally sided with that. But a lot of times what we have are situations where, you know, a state, a blue state puts on some crazy restriction and, you know, the the time passes, they remove the restriction and then we don't go back and revisit it. We don't go back and look at these things and say, wait a minute, that was wrong and we need to get it you know, through the courts to make sure that everybody knows it can't happen next time. Because look, a pandemic is something that is not a once in a lifetime experience. We had multiple other pandemics that uh, have happened uh, and hit us, not to the scale of COVID or, you know, 1918, but you know, once in a hundred years isn't really the right exp uh, summary of what we have. We have much more travel now. We have international travel. We have people passing these things all around to, to each other. Not to mention, we should point out, we still have labs across the world working on things like gain-of-function research. That's still a thing. You know, if you go back, you can see the the, the timeline of this. You know, it was something that... that, uh, that health officials and scientists wanted to do and there's some reason to understand why you'd want to do it but it's just too risky so the obama administration bans the funding of this federal funding back in, i think it was 2014 saying wait a minute this might be a little too risky we shouldn't do this and what's funny about that is they didn't ban the process there was no movement 
globally to ban the process. There was no attention from Congress to actually pass a law to ban the pro- pro- uh, this process. It was just like, hey, we won't fund this. We won't send any of your tax dollars to this. Important, sure, but not the end of the game. And then you have that winding through. As the at the very end of the Obama administration, there was the inkling they were going to lift, lift this ban. It was actually lifted during the Trump administration. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years, all of a sudden we got COVID. Now, we don't know for sure where this came from. We don't know for sure that it was a result of gain-of-function research. But there's a lot, a lot of circumstantial evidence that would point in that direction, especially as it, as it uh, ties to these labs in Wuhan. So we go through this whole process, and we still have gain-of-function research being done around the world. This is not something that has been banned. It wasn't. You'd think a rational reaction to this was like, okay, we don't even know for sure that gain-of-function research was the was the culprit here. But there's obviously a pretty straight path to this being the culprit. Let's just all say we take a, a breather on this, take a little break. Well. Some of the funding has dried up for it, but it's still going on in private institutions, and certainly it's going on in places like China and Russia. And so, and you're never going to be able to ban it there. So we should expect another pandemic. We should expect another one of these things to happen eventually. And who knows? It could be a lot worse. We do know, obviously, most overwhelming percentage of people who got COVID, even in the worst times, were able to survive it. Unless you were in a high vulnerability group that was you know, a different situation for a lot of people, but still the overwhelming majority, in fact, you know, almost everybody was able to survive it. They may have had negative effects. They may know someone who was affected and did not make it through. That's the story of a lot of people. But the the idea that we're not going to have another one of these things in our lifetimes, is, you know, look, it's, it's probable that we will. Maybe we'll be under control like SARS and MERS were, but there's been plenty of these things. You remember the bird flu. You remember the the swine flu. These things are breaking out, and you never know when they're going to break like this. The point is, we now have this experience where we went through COVID. We were able to look at this and say, hey, we saw the reaction of the world. It was not sane. So let's solve this now so the future we have these guidelines. I mean, that's essentially what the Constitution is. The Constitution is basically a document that outlines what our founders felt. And they said, hey, we've been trying this this way a bunch of years here. And I know everyone loves the whole King thing. That's That's been working out great for everybody. But like, we've decided we don't like that anymore. And we know when a situation pops up, when there's going to be something that is challenging for our our country we know what people's instincts are we know for generations and generations and generations what people do in these situations number one they look to some centralized authority to tell them what they need to do what they should do what is demanded by the king or the dictator and secondarily what people did for generations centuries beforehand was to basically go along with it They might not have liked it. They may have at times revolted. But generally speaking, what societies did was say, hey, I'm going along with this. This is life. The king tells us what to do. We go along with it. Well, we broke off from that pattern here in America. And we said, hey, let's come up with a couple of documents, uh, principles that are clear, that are inalienable, uh, that 
can guide our future response to th every challenge that our society can face. Ch challenges like a pandemic. And, you know, to me, quite clearly, one of the things that we say in that document is you can't close down a church really for any reason. If people, I mean, if they're murdering people out back, sure, you can, you know, if they're violating other uh, rights, uh, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, if they're violating the life thing, yeah, you can shut them down. But generally speaking, if people want to go and they're not, they're not murdering people, sacrificing them in the back room, you pretty much need to let them do what they need to do. That's a really important fundamental principle. And it was ignored during COVID. Your freedom of movement, your freedom to earn a living, your freedom really of, of everything. I mean, I'm sitting here in Texas where when a bit of water falls from the sky and it gathers on the ground and then it gets cold below 32 degrees Fahrenheit, we call that ice. And most societies in our country are like, okay, well, I'll drive a little slower. Here in Texas, it shuts down. It's like COVID-19 today. It's like we're in we're in March like 13th, 2020 here in Texas today. Nobody goes out. Nobody moves around. I haven't seen one car pass by. That's just not, we're not equipped for this. We're not equipped for this life down here. We have no sand trucks. We have no salt trucks. We got nothing. So we just kind of all sit around and wait for God to turn the temperatures around. That is what we do. And he'll eventually do it. It'll be a couple days probably, but he'll do it. Society, though, shuts down here right now, and generally speaking, it's by choice. Uh, but we can't get to a situation where we allow the central government to have this sort of power. And, and it's important to go through these lawsuits to reverse this. The reason why I bring all this up is because the White House is now planning to end the COVID-19 national emergency. And if you think, wait a minute, we have a COVID-19 national emergency still? Yes, it's supposed to be ended on May 11th. We'll see if that actually happens. May 11th, 2023, by the way, is the date on that. Not May 11th, 2020. You know, I, I joke about Texas, uh, but on May 1st, 2020, I was out at a restaurant with my family committing the ultimate sin of indoor dining. Uh, we, the, the next day, my wife and I went out again to a restaurant on May 2nd, 2020. And on May 3rd, 2020, my daughter and I went out to breakfast uh, in, in indoor dining in 2020. And mainly it was because our house had become completely insane. I mean, just, you know, six weeks of lockdown was uh, more than my family was equipped for. We're not very tough, as I say. I'm not a, I'm not a native Texan, so I, 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 don't, I don't claim to be tough. But the fact that this national emergency is still on, not on May 11th, 2020, but on May 11th, 2023, shows how out of control this can get. I mean, and this is, this is a story in Pennsylvania. If you go back many years, there was a big flood. Um, I think it was the late 1800s. And, you know, really destroyed a community. They decided to put a very minimal temporary tax to make the rebuilding happen. That way, it was the jo uh, Jonestown floods. And they uh, put this tax in. And they then extended it a little bit. Then they kind of added a little bit, and then they moved it over to the general fund. And guess what? If you live in Pennsylvania, guess what tax you're still paying today? And in fact, it's been, it's been hiked several times since the initial flood tax. It's still in effect today, over 100 years later, over 130 years later, it's still in effect today. This is what these governments do. They will happily put together a national emergency, 
because that gives them powers they didn't have before. And who doesn't want powers that you didn't have before? That's what government wants. This is all despite the fact that we now are looking at the results of of this emergency spending and realizing so much of it was wasted. And we knew this at the beginning. This isn't a surprise. We weren't sitting around saying, I think this time they're really going to nail it. We all said this at the beginning. I remember I did a show back in, I don't remember when it was, April 2020, saying like, hey, guys, we're spending an awful lot of money on COVID. Is this, shouldn't we stop doing this like immediately? Isn't this wrong? Shouldn't we stop? That was like before the second batch of spending. We've since had five or six more batches. We've spent multiple trillions of dollars justified on this. I think it's five or six trillion dollars we've spent on this, not to mention all of the extenuating circumstances applied to Fed spending, which is out of control. We're now learning that $5.4 billion in COVID aid may have gone to firms using suspect social security numbers. They're saying um, this comes from uh, the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, or PRAC. Yes, PRAC. PRAC offered the estimate um, in an alert uh, issued to the Washington Post. Republicans are holding their first hearing this week to study the roughly $5 trillion in federal stimulus aid approved since spring 2020. And, you know, if you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, they haven't been looking at this the whole time. No. Republicans are going to come in now that they have power in the House and say, hey, we're going to look at this spending. Seems like $5 trillion. There's probably some problems in there. We should figure out who uh, took advantage of the system, and who didn't. You know, there's some spending programs involved in the COVID situation where they just gave out money without getting even the most basic paperwork from people. People could apply for grants claiming they had lost money in their business or whatever, and they didn't even have to prove that they had a business. This money went out and it was a full grant. So when they realized later on, oh, these people didn't even have businesses, they didn't even have a mechanism to claw it back from these people because the way the system was set up was free cash for everybody, just ask for it. Now, part of me thinks to myself, why didn't I know about this at the time? I spent a lot of money on taxes and maybe I should have been out there like claiming every single thing from the government, just been like, hey, I, my corn harvesting business is having troubles can you send me fifty thousand dollars for my corn harvesting because i need to harvest more corn whatever it was we should have maybe just maybe this is the answer we just go get on board with this stuff we're gonna go bankrupt anyway our money's not gonna be worth anything anyway might as well grab it right now the suspected wave of grift targeted two of the government's most generous emergency initiatives, the Paycheck Protection Program, known as PPP, and the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, dubbed IDLE. So we've got, just in, if you're t- keeping track of the acronyms at home, PRAC, PPP, and IDLE. Um, IDLE is a good name for it. It's E-I-D-L, but it mainly hit people who weren't doing anything. So IDLE actually works relatively well. Uh, this was uh, all started under the former president, managed under the uh, Small Business Administration. $1 trillion in loans and grants were supposedly aimed to help cash-strapped companies stay afloat during all of this crisis. But the money also served as a wellspring for criminal activity. This is a shock to me. Malicious actors took advantage of the SBA and its poor oversight to bilk Washington out of seemingly massive sums. In the latest example, PRAC found that the SBA, now we're up to uh, the SBA as well, so we've got SBA, PRAC, PPP, and IDLE. 
In the latest example, PRAC found that the SBA failed to prevent a wave of applications from collecting federal money using suspect social security numbers. And that's not all. Because you, you think to yourself, okay, well, we spent these trillions of dollars. At least people were helped. At least everyone, you know, got to, to live in their houses and, and, and keep their, you know, some level of their lifestyle. Of course, we're also finding out that utilities shut off power to nearly 6 million people during the pandemic. So we spent trillions and trillions of dollars, and a lot of that money went to people who didn't deserve it at all, who gave false information to the government. In addition to that, millions of people had their utilities shut off. <laughs> like, we couldn't get the money to the right places. Over and over again, both on the grift side and on the people who really needed it side. This is, of course, why government is terrible at this stuff and should just never even attempt it. Uh, there's some argument for very early spending in the pandemic. We all know that. However, they're talking about 86% of these shutoffs coming from just 12 companies from October or from 2022, October 2022. And these companies are now going to become the villain when, look, they may very well be villainous. We'll have to look into that. And hopefully the Republicans are going to do that. But we have to also understand that every single time the government tries this crap, this is the result. This is what happens every single time. This is how this all works. This is how society works. When you fund a centralized authority with, filled with people unafraid of losing their jobs for performance reasons, unafraid of what could happen to them, they're not running for election next time. These are people who... You know, many of them do their best. There's a lot of good people working in government, of course, but the incentive structure is not set up uh, to make this work well. And, you know, when you fund trillions of dollars in spending, if it's even if it's military spending, if it's spending uh, on a pandemic program like this, you have to expect massive amounts of fraud, massive amounts of incompetence, massive, massive amounts of, of problems in every single direction. People who should be helped that won't be. People who shouldn't be helped that will be. It's just a cataclysm, a nonstop catastrophe. And it's wondering, you wonder why program. we keep trying it over and over again. Several of America's largest banks are teaming up to create a digital wallet to compete with Apple Pay. Um, you should look at them and uh, use that as your early warning. The project involves Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, each fined billions of dollars a year for allegedly ripping consumers off. They're testing digital wallets, but they already own companies that provide these services. So why would they need to create another one, a new digital wallet, when those products already exist? Or maybe it's just further control of the flow of your money and to digitize the U.S. dollar. Maybe they don't want to be counted out and have all banking done by the Fed. Plausible? Possible? Take control of your money and consider precious metals. Spread your risk out. The dollar is going to go away. Goldline is offering a huge special on their newest quarter ounce 99.9 .9 pure gold Mayflower round this week. With every tube of 25 acquired, you're going to receive a five-pack of Goldline's exclusive two-ounce Silver Maple Flex bars at no additional cost. This is over $400 in values of free metals just because you listen to this program. 866-GOLDLINE. 866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com.
Welcome back to the Glenbeck program. It's Stu in for Glenn, who's, uh, I don't know, his house is surrounded by ice now. I think he's iced in. No internet can get in or out. Uh, he, I, If you remember the movie uh, Kingdom of the Spiders with William Shatner, where eventually the spiders started attacking the house and they en enveloped the entire home in a giant web. That's pretty much what happened, except with ice. And that's what uh, Glenn is dealing with right now. So I'm going to take you here to the end of the program. 888-727-BECK is the phone number. And I, you know, I was going through, as I was home yesterday, and we're going to be home for a couple of days, it looks like, here in Texas with their weather issues. Um, I was going through an old computer trying to you know, clean it all up and get it ready you know, so the kids could, could use it for school stuff. And I, I came across a graphic from 2016 that I had saved on the desktop. And it was... It was this graphic, I think it was from like 538, and it was a, a it looked like basically five circles set up um, like the Olympic rings, kind of layered over each other, and each one was labeled something different. It was like, you know, moderate, um, uh, America first, uh, libertarian, socially conservative. I don't remember what all five categories were, but they were all five ways to break apart Republican thought and right-leaning thought. And then they had plotted all, I don't know, 20 candidates running in 2016 for this nomination. And, you know, you've got Trump is on there. And, you know, you remember the Trump and Cruz and uh, who's the guy, uh, Kasich from Ohio. And you had kind of some of the people who wound up at the end. And then you have a bunch of people you can't even remember that these people actually run campaigns like i don't even remember this and what struck me about this is there's a new sort of analysis about look uh, looking toward 2024 where they're starting to think that 2024 might wind up shaping up more like the 2000 republican primary where you had george w bush and john mccain a few other people who were in there representing different, you know, factions. You had the Steve Forbes, for example, who ran and kind of was running basically a, a main one-issue campaign on the flat tax. You had other people in the race, but generally speaking, it was a two-person race. Uh, it was ended pretty quickly. I believe, if, I, if my memory serves, uh, Bush or McCain won every state in that primary. And, of course, George W. Bush wound up winning it, going on to you know, serve two terms. Uh, the, the landscape right now, at least this is how a lot of analysts are looking at this, they're saying, hey, this looks like the same type of thing. You'll have Trump, you'll have DeSantis, and then you'll have some other people who jump in the race running for their little factions but don't really have a chance of winning. We'll see if that's uh, how this plans out. But you can kind of, you can see how this is playing out because of how the DeSantis derangement syndrome, syndrome is now rising to the top of the media. Along with, of course, the healthy scoop that you'd expect of the Trump derangement syndrome that will never go away, the DeSantis derangement syndrome is now in effect as well. And it's, it, it serves, it kind of pops his head up in a bunch of different ways. You, of course, just get the typical, actually, Trump was bad, but DeSantis will be worse type of analysis, which, you know, is just... I mean, not only does it disregard everything they said about Trump, where they said he was this unique threat for, you know, five years, but also is just like not really based on anything. It's more vibes, right? They just don't like him now because they think he might win. So they have to say he's really bad and they have to convince people who might, you know, because there's that dangerous middle for Democrats right now and the media where they look at 
and this is not necessarily how it's going to play out, but this is how they are predicting it may play out. They're saying, hey, Donald Trump, obviously a unique personality, and there was a good chunk of people who would consider voting for Republicans who just didn't like Donald Trump and wouldn't vote for him. Say what you want about that mindset, but it certainly does exist. It showed up most prominently among suburban women in the in the in the uh, in the polls. But could Ron DeSantis solve that problem? Or on the other uh, on the way the media looks at this, could Ron DeSantis make that problem? worse for us we were counting on uh, suburban women for the rest of our lives and now what if they like ron DeSantis? that will be terrible that's certainly the way they're looking at it and i think it's also manifested in you know the way they're covering a lot of his policies DeSantis's policies in florida for example uh this whole education debacle that's going on i had stanley kurtz on uh last night he's from national review he really broke this story back in september of this uh, this course that was in Florida or proposed to go through Florida where it was supposed to be about teaching about African-American studies. Eh, you know, you're going to study the history of the African-American in the United States. Who wouldn't want that? You want to study slavery? Absolutely. You want to study racism? Absolutely. Those things should be studied. But what shouldn't be studied is, you know, crazy critical race theory, um, you know, socialist principles dressed up as, as, African-American studies, and even to the point, as, as Ron DeSantis pointed out the other day, uh, what we're seeing, uh, he said, quote, there's a course on black history, and what are the one of the lessons about queer theory? Now, who would say that an important part of black history is queer theory? And he went on to explain that this is actually in the course. Stanley Kurtz got this back in September and actually saw this in here and tried to expose it. Didn't get much of attention, um, much attention back then. Eventually, this has come out and finally, it has been fully, uh, you know, pushed back now by the DeSantis uh, administration. And of course, this is one of the things you have to deal with if you're on the left. This this is unfortunate if you're on the left. It ruins your little plan if you're on the left. But if you want government schools, which I personally don't want, I don't want them at all. I don't think we should have. I I I prefer a world in which everyone had a private education. That is my world. I understand that I'm not in the majority on that. I don't want public school at all, but you know who does? The left. The left really wants public school, and here's what happens when you have a public school. The people in charge of the, at the government level get to decide how those schools operate. That's why I oppose it. It's one of the things I don't like about public school. That's one of the things the left loves about it when their people are in power, and for so long, they have had this wonderful uh, game they've been able to play on everybody. And, and this, you know, Republicans are big players in this as well. They've decided, well, sure, government schools are going to exist, and we're going to embrace that as people on the right. This has been the argument. But when government is in charge of deciding what goes on at these schools, we're going to just abdicate that responsibility. We're not going, the trustees of these schools, the high-level people, we're just going to name our buddies, we're going to name our donors, we're going to put people in there without expertise, and we're not really going to push back against what happens in these schools at all, despite the fact that it's our responsibility uh, to deal with them. So now Ron DeSantis is saying, hey, wait a minute, you know what we should do? We have control of this government. We were elected, in his case, by almost 20 points. We should do something about this. And so he is. Now, there's a, a, a thread that's gone around, gone wildly viral on the left, 
from a guy, I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, Judd Legume. We'll call him Judd Legume. But he's a you know big lefty, got a big presence on Twitter. And he got over 20,000 likes on this tweet thread talking about education policy in Florida. And, you know, he says uh, Florida teachers are being held, are told to remove all books from their classroom libraries or face felony prosecution. What? The new policy is based on the premise that teachers are using books to groom students or indoctrinate them with leftist ideologies. And he posts a clip of, of the statutory changes and hi highlights a few words. He underlines classroom libraries, commits a felony of the third degree, and we are seeking volunteers to assist with vetting and compelling, uh, uh, compiling a website. That is all in there. What he doesn't, of course, underline is the fact that what he's saying is all material in school and classroom libraries uh, must be included, uh, that are included on the re reading list, must be, quote, free of pornography <laughs> and material prohibited under this particular statute. Now, free of pornography, I mean, I, I'm not a Olympic-level hurdler, but I feel like freeing your classroom library of pornography is a low hurdle to clear. This is something that we as a society should be able to accomplish. And, you know, if you're on the fence on something, I don't know, is this hardcore porn? Is it not? Maybe keep it out of the classrooms, right? Like, Maybe let mommy and daddy uh, make that decision at home. Maybe that's not even the right decision, but it's certainly the low hurdle to clear is to keep it out of classrooms. He goes on to talk about uh, these separate laws that he, I think, mistook to think were one law working together. It's hard to understand how his analysis kind of goes awry here. Um, but he says the don't say gay bill prohibits all instruction on sexual orientation or gender uh, identity in K3 classrooms and instruction in other grades that is not appropriate or developmentally appropriate. But the, uh, the law applies to classroom instruction, not library books. The Stop Woke Act is also limited to classroom instruction. The teacher training approved by the federal, uh, excuse me, the Florida Department of Education does not inform librarians that don't say gay and stop woke do not apply to library books. And it goes on to say that it's not going... Like the big controversy on the left is that teachers can now not determine for their students what books should be in these uh, libraries. Instead, it's not Ron DeSantis who makes the decision, but librarians will make the decision. So now the left is vilifying librarians uh, <laughs> over teachers. It's hard to understand. Um, he goes on to try to explain it incorrectly, but I wanted to kind of walk you through what the Stop Woke Act, for example, does, because I don't think people even know this. There's eight steps to it. Let's go through it real quickly. So you know what's actually in it. You might say, oh, well, I know that Ron DeSantis is not uh, trying to stop people from understanding black history or slavery because, you know, he's not the Nazi they try to make him out to be. And that's true. But understand what is in here. First of all, it it forces uh, uh, schools to teach things like slavery. It actually requires them to do that. That's an important part of what happens in Florida schools. And and of course, you know, I went to school. I remember learning about this. I went to public school. Unfortunately, you probably can tell that by listening to the program every day. But here's the uh, here what here is what is banned on the Stop Woke Act. Members of one race, color, sex, or national or, or national origin are morally superior to members of another race, color, sex, or national origin. You can't teach that because of the Stop Woke Act. You can't say white people are superior to black people. You also can't say black people are morally superior to white people. You can't do it 
You can't say men are morally superior to women. You can't say Catholics are morally superior to Protestants. You can't say any of that. Next up, you have uh, an individual by virtue of his or her race, color, sex, or national origin is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. You can't say all white people are racist. You can't say all black people are racist. You know, here's a nice handy tip. You can't assign negative characteristics to people based on skin color. You can't be, to state it another way, racist. You can't teach racism as doctrine. That shouldn't be controversial in this country. And you know what? It isn't controversial to people in Florida. It isn't controversial to people across the country. It isn't controversial to parents. This is only controversial to the minds of people on Twitter and people in the media. What else is prevented by the Stop Woke Act? An individual's moral character or status is either privileged or oppressed. By and is necessarily determined by his race, color, sex, or national origin. So you can't say, okay, well, because I happen to be white, I'm an oppressor. Because uh, you happen to be black, you're oppressed. You can't teach that as doctrine or the other way around. You also can't teach members of one race, color, sex, or national origin, cannot and should not attempt to treat others without respect to race, color, national origin, or sex. An individual, by virtue of his or her race, color, sex, or national origin, bears responsibility for or should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment because of actions committed in the past by other members of the same race. So we can't say, hey, slave owners back in the 1700s mean that you, little Billy, in class get a detention. We can't do that. These are basic things. I mean, there's eight of them, and they all kind of are right on this uh, pathway. This is simple to understand things. Don't be an overt racist when you're teaching kids. That is all this thing requires, and this is controversial on the left because the left has been, but is also going completely insane. This is a major problem that anything like this could possibly be held up as controversial. And yet our media is telling us that everybody thinks this. You're in the minority if you don't think it. If you think people should be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin, you are the problem. It's not the country that I want to live in. I won't accept that. I will not play into that. I don't think you will either. And the longer and harder we push back, and thankfully there are people like Ron DeSantis who are doing this at a government level, the more we push back, the more I think people will realize this stuff is nuts. We've gone insane as a country, and we need to go back to the right course. Glenn Beck. Uh, Dan McLaughlin asked a really interesting question the other day. How old is Corinne Jean-Pierre? How old is she? I, I mean, we know her wardrobe costs more than the gross national product of Turkmenistan, but how, how old is she? Now, honestly, if you would have asked me that question just out of the blue without me looking, I probably would have guessed mid-30s. I mean, she looks pretty young. And she doesn't seem to have like a super deep understanding of the world. I assume she's not in her twenties because just from the it's the you know it's the job. You're probably not going to get that job in your twenties, though. I know the Biden administration might do that, but she's apparently older than that. She's uh, maybe forty-seven. And the reason I say maybe is because we don't we have a bunch of different sources saying a bunch of different things on this. She was born in Martinique 
She was she graduated high school in 1993. She graduated college in 1997. Public sources seem to be unable to agree on when she was born. So the New York Times says she's 47. Caribbean National Weekly says she was for, she's 47. Wikipedia says she's 47. However, others, Business Insider says she was born in 1977, which would make her 44. Yahoo News says same thing, August 13th, 1977. The Washingtonian says she's a 44-year-old. The Hill says she's 45. Washington Blade says last year she was 45, so I guess she'd be 46. Her memoir says it was 1974, so I guess we can assume it's 47 years old, but doesn't it seem odd that we have this many different pieces of information on this really basic thing? Now, I know as I get older, I start to forget how old I am, so maybe she just has been telling people incorrect information, and honestly, she'll read anything that's in front of her. So maybe someone just kind of did an anchor man to her and gave her the wrong date.